as we seek to be wise. So if you would please stand with me as we read God's word together out of love and respect. Uh, This is God's word. He does speak to us through it. It was breathed out from his own mouth for our teaching, our correction, our rebuke, and our instruction. So here now, God's holy word, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 33. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and penance for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with me, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who could go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called to you and you have refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and shall have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster." So in the reading of God's word, let us pray that the Lord would indeed bless it. Father, this is indeed your word, and you have appointed me to be your ambassador. And Father, I need your spirit to be able to speak boldly and clearly and truthfully. So we, we pray that you would indeed give me that spirit. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see even your grace in the midst of this passage? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Well, for those of us who have been given the joy, uh, the privilege of being children, or <laughs> we've all been given the privilege of being children. For all, those of us who've been given the privilege of having children, of being parents, it is a joy and a delight. Um, we're not without its challenges, and one of the big uh, responsibilities, major responsibilities we have been given is to impart wisdom and instruction to our children. That is the means, one of the primary means that God has given to pass wisdom 
to individuals is from parents to children. And um, even uh, though we might try as best as we can uh, to impart our wisdom uh, to our kids, to instruct them in the way that they ought to go, uh, the reception of that wisdom can often be mixed. Uh, thankfully, in God's providence, he gives us nonverbal indicators to let us visually see how our wisdom is being received by our kids. There is the age-old eye-rolling, uh, which we have all partaken in when our parents speak to us. There is the modern-day uh, looking at our phones and pretending like we don't hear what our parents are telling us. There's the exasperated <coughs> staring at the ceiling. And our family's personal favorite is the open palms, which I'm told is a form of punctuation, either depending upon how it is done, either quickly, like, <coughs> that's the exclamation point, or if it's done slowly, it's a question mark. The reality is uh, every one of us has a heart that resists wisdom and instruction as it's passed down from others to us. Um, it's just for our younger brothers and sisters, it's sometimes a little more evident um, and obvious. But our God knows that we need a wise perspective. We need a perspective that we don't have, that we need to be instructed in the way that we ought to go. And by God's grace, he gives us his own perspective. This is his world. He sees all things from beginning to end. He knows how everything works, and he gives us his wisdom. He gives us his perspective. And so uh, as we look at this chapter 1, um, I think that's what we need to see is that God provides, he has the proper perspective that will save us from disaster, and so we must be careful to heed his wisdom. He has the perspective, he gives it to us, we would be careful to heed it. So we'll look at the passage under three headings. The first is the wise blessing of instruction, which is in verses 8 and 9. And then we'll see a wise perspective on sin in verses 10 to 19. And then we'll wrap that up with a wise pleading to the simple in verses 20 to 33. So he begins by saying, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This, this phrase of hear, my son, is a prevalent, uh, it's a common phrase you'll see in the book of Proverbs. In fact, 23 times in the book of Proverbs. Do you see this call of my son? Uh, the book is written as though it is a father instructing his son. Well, but it's, this is wisdom, of course, for sons and daughters alike. Um, throughout, it doesn't matter what part of Scripture we are reading, there's always some degree of translation that we need to make. Uh, none of us were ancient Israelites or lived in the Roman Empire, and yet God's Word was given in those contexts, and we translate it, we apply it in the context of our own lives and uh, in, in our own time. And so this, this, this wisdom is for sons and daughters alike, and, uh, but it's written in that context of a father to its son. So we'll see that throughout the, our study in the book of Proverbs. Um, and, and he says it as, 
that it's the father who instructs and there is a mother's teaching. It is parental instruction and wisdom that is being passed down. And he says, hear my son, your father's instruction. And that hearing is uh, synonymous, is the same as obeying, listening, heeding, uh, not disregarding. Uh, father and mother alike. And then he gives a reason for why we ought to do that. He says, this instruction, this teaching is a graceful garland for your head and penance for pendants for your neck. It is a, a beautifying for the, the one who receives it. Uh, the, the neck uh, was an image of guidance and direction. And so when he speaks of a graceful garland or a pendant or a necklace for the neck, he's talking about it's beautifying the, the way that you ought to go that gives you guidance. And one of the, uh, one of the important ways that this is True is by giving counsel um, to pr- protect against uh, or teaching the, the, the young person the ways of sinners or the ways of sin. And so we move from the, the call to the blessing of instruction to the perspective on sin. And he speaks of the seductiveness of sin and as it comes by sinners. He says in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, entice you. There is an enticing nature, a seductiveness to sin. And so he's warning, giving wisdom that that is going to be the case. And he gives some different ways that sin can be enticing. Let's take a look at some of those. The first one is an appeal to acceptance and community. Verse 11 says, if they say, come with us, Come with us. We are all, we were, we were made in God's image and we were created for community. We are created to be with other people. And so there's an inner longing to be loved, to be accepted, to be in fellowship with other people. And so there's an appeal here by sinners to say, ah, come with us. And that's enticing. We want to be pursued. We want to be accepted. But this community is not a community that builds up, but a community that destroys. Um, Because the purpose of the community is power. And that's the second time of enticement. Uh, Second type is power over others. He says, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them up and hold like those who go down to the pit. There is, uh, when we're in community, we, we, do, we were created for work. We were created to be productive. We were created to serve. Um, but this community is seeking to take advantage of others. Seeking, there's, a, there's an appeal that I'm going to get the results that I want when I join forces with this particular gang. We are going to accomplish things. We will have power over others. And uh, it is an enticement of sin. And that power has a purpose. It is shameful gain. Verse 13, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. 
purpose of the power is to take, to loot, to steal, and to have for shameful gain. And uh, if you think about those, that kind of progression, those characteristics, you can probably think of situations in your life where that may have some parallels, but it, it certainly seems like you can see some of that in corporate America, in, in the way that um, some businesses operate. Um, this call for association, recruiters appealing, saying, come be with us. We will entice you with promises of great gain, um, HR departments that try to cultivate a cultural community uh, to instill cultural values. They'll even use language like, we'll, we are a, a family with our own ideals. Um, and sometimes, rather than seeking to serve customers, companies can be focused on destroying competitors or even taking advantage of customers, uh, fleecing their customers, and, and all the while employees are being bribed to uh, accept it and to rejoice in this type of corporate uh, mentality with stock that is granted or bonuses for profitability and things like that. And this is not all companies, but there are companies that operate like that. And the, the father says to his son, he says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. And the reason he gives, he says, they run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. But what is fascinating is that he is whose blood is shed. He says, in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. The one who is greedy for unjust gain takes away the life of its possessors. Um, in my time as a software developer, I actually worked at a company as a contractor that resembled this type of behavior as a company. Uh, it was a company that rose to popularity and, and success in the late 90s. Uh, and the stock mark, as the stock market went up, this company's stock went up, uh, and uh, the employees, uh, my coworkers, my friends, uh, they, as they rode the back of this 600-pound gorilla swatting away competitors, they were thrilled because their paper fortunes went through the roof, and there was benefits galore, uh, and it was wonderful. And uh, But there was a, a point I specifically remember that was a turning point, and I had been asked to, to provide a demo to the CEO of this company. And we went up, and we were in the conference room next to his office. And as we were waiting for him to show up, I looked on the whiteboard, and there was a note about one of the competitors of this company. And it said, this company is a joke. We will destroy them. And I thought, that's it's not how you drive. It's not what you do with a company. Uh, and fast forward a couple years later, and the dot-com boom turned into the dot-com bust. Quarter after quarter, the company missed its revenue projections. The stock market slid. Um, there were customer lawsuits against the company. Um, 
the benefits went away. The stock market, the stock eventually was delisted from the public, uh, uh, the public stock exchange. And as the company tried to avoid bankruptcy, it ended up being sold to another company for pennies on the dollar. And what was ironic was this company had bought up other companies before coming to this company. And the, and the individuals who were in leadership of this purchasing company were the same leaders of that competitor that was the joke. And so that company may have been a joke, but at the end of the day, they had the last laugh over this company that I had worked for. And our God speaks into this situation. He provides this perspective saying, avoid this. And he, provi he, he provides this insight. But that's where this internal conflict happens with us. Because whether it's a father and a son or our God to us, it, we're talking about changing our current our actions in the present time based upon a prediction of the future. And depending upon where you are on this side of wisdom, you're either going to, you, you may, may not accept that prediction. Um, the, the father has the wisdom of experience. He's seen the way that things go. He sees patterns. He shares this wisdom. The son says, but that old man's not a prophet. He doesn't know everything. How could he possibly know? He doesn't know these people. He doesn't know this, this company. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. Or there's this arrogance in, our, in, our, in our, ourselves that says, yeah, but, you know, I'll figure it out. You know, I've got this. And, it, you know, it's, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? But our God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. And... Um, and it's into the, in the midst of that, that conflict that we come to this, this call of wisdom. This woman wisdom speaks up, and she speaks to the simple, and she cries out, how long? How long are you going to keep doing this? Uh, it says that wisdom cries aloud in the street. She raises her voice. And she says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffers and fools hate knowledge? She says, how long are you going to keep doing this and keep going to your own peril? And he's got three different types of fools. We talked about a couple of these last week. Uh, he's got the simple ones. We said that was kind of naive or immature. Um, he said, how long will you... Love being immature and naive. And then the, the third one he lists is the fools, the one who is dead set in their opinion, and you're not going to tell them otherwise because they're convinced that it's right, even though it flies in the face of what God has revealed in his world. But the third one, which is second in our list here, is how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? That's actually the hardest, most hardened fool they not only are convinced in the rightness of their opinion, uh, like the fool, but they are also militant about it. They ridicule those who have wisdom and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a joke. And so he says, how long are you going to continue to do this? And he says, 
If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. He says, come to me. Come to me. I am, I am eager to make you wise. You are resisting wisdom. It is there. And woman wisdom seems to have, she takes a hard stance. It seems kind of graceless. She goes on in verse 24, she says, Because I have called, and you refuse to listen, and I have stretched out my hand, because you have ignored and would have none of my reproof, he says, she says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you'll call upon me and I will not answer. And you'll seek me and you won't find me. And you will, she says, I'm telling you now, the road that you are on, it's leading to destruction. You, you are standing at a fork, and if you go down that path and you refuse to listen to me, when you get to the end, you will eat your fill of your choice. But it is not a meal that will satisfy. It is poison in your mouth, and it will be to your destruction. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But she provides another option. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So she holds out these two roads, and she says, choose, choose. And woman wisdom seems harsh and absolute. It's this binary thing. Like if you, if you go down, if you listen to me, you're going to be okay. If you don't, you're going to have calamity. And that seems out of accord with what we understand from God's grace. We just, we just read it in the uh, affirmation of faith. He says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. But he shows compassion upon us. But woman wisdom here, she's, she's harsh. She says, you got a choice. Listen to me and live. Don't and perish. What we need to understand is even though wisdom, true wisdom, is from God, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, wisdom is not God. And wisdom in and of itself can't grant grace any more than the law of God grants grace. The law of God says this is a path of blessing. This is how we honor our Lord. This is a reflection of his character. Live in this way. But the law, law can't give grace. The law is a binary. It says do this and live and, 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 and do not and perish. Only our God can grant grace. Only our God can grant mercy. A wisdom is a gift of God's grace that he gives to us to guide us in the way that we ought to go. Um, and brothers and sisters, this, this, this foolish path that the woman wisdom points to is, that's the street that we grew up on. That is the, the road that we walk on by nature. That is that is living in accordance to our own wisdom rather than listening to the wisdom that our God ex extends to us. We are born in foolish pride, alienated from God, alienated from his wisdom. We need a, 
a wisdom from outside of us. We need someone to instruct us in the way that we should go, and we need to turn and walk in it. And we, because true wisdom comes from God, we need God himself to speak into our lives, to teach us what is right, and to give us that proper uh, perspective. He needs to speak wisdom into our heart. He needs to make us wise unto salvation, but we don't need to wonder if he is willing to give us that wisdom that we need, because we can even look at woman wisdom. She says, because I have called to you, and you have refused. I have stretched out my hand. She said, if you will listen to me and dwell secure, I'm speaking to you. I am eager to lavish my wisdom upon you. God offers his wisdom to you day after day. He offers it to you today. And in, in case we, we, we miss that point, we can flip to the book of James in the New Testament. And James says that if any of us, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Simply need to ask. But even woman wisdom, she, she just offers. It is something that he offers to us. And I think we can make an association between wisdom and having a right perspective on the, what will be the result of our actions, a right perspective on that. So truly understanding true wisdom understands that it understands the workings of God's ways well enough to accurately predict what result God will bring about in response to our actions. So again, here's this relational aspect. If we are, wisdom is, begins with a fear of the Lord. We understand that God is working out all of his holy will. He is providentially working things out. And God is revealing to us how he works things out. He, he, he teaches us about cause and effect to a certain extent. And so true wisdom is listening to him tell us how these things will work out so that when we are faced with a situation, we can accurately predict how God, what result God will bring about. And we can walk in that wisdom. And, uh, but there's difficulty because it's, it's involving a prediction of the future and causing us to live in the present. And some predictions are easier than others. I, mean, I remember when I was a kid, our family had uh, an electric stove you know, with the coils. And I remember really wondering whether my mom was right if when it was red, I shouldn't touch it because it, she said, it will burn you. And I said, well, I want to, I want to test that out. I need, I, I'm not sure I believe that. And so I touched it. And sure enough, she was right. It burned my fingers. Now, I could have just listened to her wisdom, but I didn't. I wanted to experience it for myself. And yes, I learned it, but I learned it at, at the cost of the, the burn on my finger. And that's an easy one, but there are... Uh, there are other situations that are more difficult to predict what will happen. And the costs can be even higher in our uh, pursuit of learning it. Um, the, the youth 
youth group this week was talking about sexual purity. And there's a debate that we face is what is the result? What is, what is, the, what is the end path of sexual sin, sexual impurity? Our culture would say, well, you know, if you, if you want to look at pornography, pornography is a victimless crime, if it's a crime at all. But it's not really a crime. Like it could be a, a means of self-fulfillment, a means of personal satisfaction. But our God in Proverbs chapter 5 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. And so woman wisdom says, you've got a choice. Will you listen to what God has to offer as will be the net result of your decision, or will you go down this, uh, this, this path that seems good to you? But even beyond that, Perhaps the most difficult question with the ultimate cost is what lies beyond the grave? What happens after we die? There's some who say, well, you know, nothing. When, you, when, you're, when you're dead, you're dead, and that's the end. So live life to the fullest. Enjoy every moment that you have. But our God says, after death comes judgment. Each one of us will be judged according to what he has done. There is a resurrection, either a resurrection to life or a resurrection to everlasting punishment. And this isn't something that we can learn by experience. This is something where we have to listen or we have to choose to ignore the wisdom that has been given to us in God's word. And God says, learn from the experience of my son, my son who did die, was dead, and is now alive forevermore. He was raised from the dead, and so therefore there is something after the grave. There is something there, if you believe that. But it's not just about life or resurrection after the dead. It is what comes as a result of that. Our God says, you will be judged. You will stand before my judgment throne and you will be judged by what you have done and yet you are a sinner. You are separated from me and you deserve my wrath. But the world and secular psychologists would say, no, come on, you're not that bad. You're a pretty good person. You just need to try harder. You need to talk yourself into positive thinking. You cut yourself some slack and our God says, no, you are that bad. And I am the arbiter of that. I will be the arbiter of that. And yet, I gave my son 
to become your sin so that I could judge you in him so that now if you believe in my son that he took the penalty you deserve, there's now therefore no condemnation for you. You have already been judged and you are set free from the law's demands. You are mine forever. When you are raised, you will be raised to eternal blessing forevermore. And our God says, you need to choose. Will you listen to my wisdom? Or will you continue to walk in my ways to destruction? And so Christ himself has become our wisdom in that way. There are two paths. There is living by faith in the Son of God. And then there is living in accordance with what we, whatever we think is right. And we have to make that decision of whether we are going to submit ourselves and listen to our Heavenly Father's instruction, or we're going to continue to live in according to our own choosing. There's a proverb that says, there is a, man, a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And so our God says that to you. He says that to me. If only you would listen. And just like woman wisdom kind of holds up her hands and she says if you would only listen to the words that I say to you what you have to know is that our savior Jesus Christ does the same thing he says he says he holds up his hands <laughs> even on the cross it was like he was holding up his arms to say come to me come to me and I will give you wisdom come to me and I will give you life come to me I will give you freedom from the cords of death from the from the the implications of your own decisions. I will set you free from that so that you can walk in that path of blessing, so you can choose that wisdom. Come to me and, and have the power of the indestructible life that, that would, so that death could not hold me, it will never hold you. Come to me and receive the rest for your soul that you long for. And beloved, if you've, if you've never heard his voice, or if you've been living in resistance to his wisdom, perhaps you can hear him now. Perhaps you can hear him crying out, how long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you resist my grace? I love you. Because in Christ Jesus, our God promises blessings forevermore in the shelter of his wings for all who rest in the wisdom of our God in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us that we are stubborn and that we resist your pleading and your wisdom. I thank you, Spirit, that you help us to see the truth of your word, that you enliven our hearts, you quicken our minds, you open our eyes. I pray that you would help us to have the will to cling to Christ and to submit to him even when it's His, your ways are not our ways. Help us to be wise unto salvation. And may you get all the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.